0: Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast. The podcast where we, Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material.
1: Two warnings. This podcast uses barnyard language. Why limit ourselves to only nice words? Some things warrant not-so-nice words.
0: Also, spoiler warning. We will be talking about the endings of both book and movie, so prepare yourself. Okay. Okay. Let's get into it. It's the Pages and Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edify you. it's the Pages and Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you better damn well listen.
1: Hello and welcome to Pages and Popcorn Podcast. We today are going to be discussing stardust but before we discuss stardust jennifer and i have a couple of quick announcements for you first off as you know by now you can reach us at pages and pop podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter you can find me on instagram and tiktok we're all over the place so drop us a line tell us what you think that would be great tell your friends to listen. That would be even better. And if you feel like financially supporting this podcast, you have two ways of doing that, which is Patreon or this fun, wonderful thing called buy us a coffee. You can set up how many coffees and all of that kind of stuff. You can find more information about that along with older episodes that you can listen to right there in your browser without downloading anything at kmamedia.com slash pages and popcorn podcast. There's a pages and popcorn podcast link right there at kmmamedia.com. Why Kmmamedia.com? you might ask, well, because we are not the only podcast in this wonderful podcast network. There is also Ghost which is on hiatus right now, but we'll be coming back at the end of the month. There will be a crossover episode again this year for Halloween. So check out Ghost You can do that at kmmamedia.com as well. Okay, that is the end of my announcements. They are quick and powerful. They are short and sweet, just like me. Actually and I'm, powerful. Just like me. No, not really. But I'm also not short. I'll have you know. I am perfectly average when it comes to my height. Sure. It's true. <laughs> I looked it up. Yes, the average American woman is five foot four, and I'm five foot four almost. Short sure, booster seat. You're average. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Jennifer, on to Stardust. <laughs> on to Stardust. So, Stardust is the chronicle of the young David Bowie's first visit to the U.S. in 1971, a trip that inspired the invention of the iconic alter ego Ziggy Stardust. That's the movie you watched, right? Yep, absolutely. You know what it's <laughs> coming out like you know this year. No, it came out already. Didn't it come out? Oh, it was a
0: 2020?
1: Yeah, it was a 2020.
0: (laughs) Yeah, everything revolves around David Bowie. I've said he was the linchpin to the universe. And when he died, things started falling apart.
1: I will just nod and smile. I know very little about David Bowie. Although, just to kind of bring it all the way back to our podcast, there is the David Bowie song, Major Tom, which was in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which was one of our early episodes so and That was a
0: badass scene, especially when you skate
1: skateboarding through Iceland. So, yeah, it a was. Call back to that cinematography wise, that scene in the Secret Life of Walter Mitty was really good. In fact, listeners, if you have not watched the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, go watch it. I think Why we both started to
0: feel you want to talk about everything, but
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Today, um, I'm sorry. Okay, Stardust. In reality, Stardust is the Tuani. 20- 20 British commit. Wait, hold on. I'm still reading my joke. I know. I'm still reading my (laughs) British Canadian biographical film about English singer songwriter. I'm sorry. Wrong set of notes. Okay. That joke happened and it's over now. We're moving on. Stardust is the 1999 fantasy novel by British writer Neil Gaiman. It's usually published with illustrations by Charles Vess. So this is fun before we start. Two years ago in October, we read Coraline, which was our, one of our October books, and it was by Neil Gaiman. So people go back and listen to that episode. It was a good episode. And here we are today, and we're going to be talking about Stardust, which is also from Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Yeah. Okay. Here's the book recap, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the movie. The book recap goes like this On the outskirts of Wall, a small town in rural England, the fairy market is held every nine years on the other side of the wall, dividing fairy a mystical realm of magic, from our world and for which the town of Wall is so named. As the book begins, the market has just begun and the town is filled with visitors and vendors. A young man named Dunstan Thorne rents out his cottage to a stranger in exchange for his, quote, heart's desire. In addition to a monetary payment, of course. The next day in the market, he meets Una, a beautiful woman imprisoned by a witch named Simil, Is that how you said that? S-E-M-E-L-E? It's not pronounced in the movie. They call her Ditchwater Sal, so. Well, we can call her Sal. Okay, well, Samil. Uh, Samil. He purchases a glass snowdrop from Una with a kiss and gives the flower to his fiance, Daisy. Enthralled by her beauty during the encounter, though, Dunstan later returns to meet Una in the woods and he makes sweet, sweet love to her. Actually, Wikipedia says they make love. I'm going to say she makes love to him because that's really what happened. Oh yeah, she does enchant him. So, yes, right. And rides him, there's, well, okay. We'll talk about that. I'm sure the picture in the book is definitely her making love to him. Not the other way around. She tells him that she was kidnapped as a child and will be the witch's slave until the moon loses her child. If it happens in a week with two Mondays come together, it is hopeless, but they at least have this one magical night And then he goes home and the fairy fair moves on. A month later, Dunstan marries Daisy as planned. In February, a little over nine months later, he receives a baby in a basket, his and Una's son named Tristan. Tristran, there's an R in there. Tristran, I'm gonna try really hard to say Tristran every time because that is how it's spelled, but I apologize in advance because Tristan is an actual name, the people that I actually know, and I feel like I'm gonna mess that up.
0: They also changed it in the movie to Tristan just because Tristan is a lot harder to pronounce.
1: Exactly. So while I'm doing the book, I'm going to try really hard to call him Tristran. but just so you know. Okay. 18 years after these events, Tristan, now a young man with a half-sister named Louisa, seeks the love of Victoria, the town beauty. One night, while Tristan is walking her home from the shop where he works, he sees a shooting star, Landon fairy, and he vows to bring it to her in exchange for a kiss or perhaps a hand perhaps her hand in marriage thinking that he will never actually do it victoria promises to do whatever he asks if he brings her the star tristan tells his father of the bargain and dunstan gives tristan the snowdrop as well as helping him pass the guards at the wall by alluding to his fairy heritage tristan enters fairy and begins his search for the star Meanwhile, at Stormhold in Fairy, the king of Stormhold gathers his sons to determine who will be the heir. He hurls the power of Stormhold, a topaz that marks its bearer as the ruler of the land, into the sky, knocking the self-same star from the sky. He then dies, and his three living sons leave to go find their star. Unbeknownst to the living, the four dead sons watch as ghosts. They have all been killed by a brother because only one can rule the land, and the sister is, well, a girl, so she doesn't count. Plus, she's not around to worry about anymore. So Prince Septimus poisons Treatus at a nearby inn, and now there are only two brothers out searching for the star, Septimus and Primus. In a small gray house in the woods, three ancient and mighty witches known as the Lilim learn of the fallen star by reading the entrails of a dead goat, and the oldest of the Lilim consumes their last reservoir of years, later revealed to be the heart of another fallen star, to become young again. She meets a farm boy named Brevis at a crossroads, takes his goat, transforms him into a second goat, and uses the two animals to pull her small chariot. Off she goes to find the star. Tristan meets a small hairy man who helps him through the woods. After Tristan helps them escape deadly trees called Sarah wood or vampire trees, he learns that he has the ability to find any location in fairy. Tristan is taunted by a tiny fairy who says that he is soon to face his true love scorn. The hairy man gives Tristan a new outfit, a silver chain like the one used to imprison Una, and a candle stub, which allows one to travel great distances quickly while it burns, which he explains by referencing the nursery rhyme, How Many Miles to Babylon. Tristan uses the candle to quickly reach the fallen star, but is surprised to find that the star is actually a young woman named Yvain, whose leg has been broken in her fall. Yvain hurls mud at him and continuously insults him. He resolves to take her to Victoria anyway, tying her to him with a chain. However, the candle goes out before he can return, and so the two sleep for the night. The next morning, Tristan tells Yvain about his promise to Victoria and his intention to bring her to her. Tristan makes Yvain a simple crutch to help her walk on her broken leg hinders her movement. They arrive at a clearing where they witness a fight between a lion and a unicorn over a golden crown. Yvain tells Tristan to help the unicorn when the lion is about to kill it. And Tristan, remembering the old nursery rhyme, the lion and the unicorn, picks up the crown and gives it to the lion. With the crown upon its head, the lion slips away into the forest. Tristan and Yvain spend the night in the clearing beside the wounded unicorn. Later, near a village, he unties her, makes her promise to totally not run away while he goes to get food. And of course, she and the unicorn totally run away as soon as he's off getting food the witch queen on her search for the star encounters madame Semile. they share a meal and then madame Semile or Semile gives the witch queen meat cooked with limbus grass which causes anyone who tasted to speak nothing but the truth forcing her to reveal the purpose of her journey the enraged witch queen puts a curse on her which prevents her from seeing touching or perceiving the star in any way and causing Samile to forget their meeting and the moment the witch queen leaves so On discovering that the Yvain is gone, a despondent and regretful Tristan spends the night under a tree. Tristan talks to the tree, and the tree says that Pam, the spirit of the forest, told her the tree to help him, Tristan. The tree also tells him that there are people looking for Yvain, and that there is a path in the forest with a carriage coming, and Tristan just simply cannot miss this carriage. Then it gives Tristan a leaf and says to listen to it when he needs help the most. Tristan runs to catch the carriage and nearly misses it, but a tree has fallen in the carriage's path, so the carriage has to stop. And Tristan meets Primus, the driver of the carriage, and persuades him to allow Tristan to ride in the carriage and continue on their journeys together. In the mountains, the witch queen has transformed her chariot into an inn to catch Yvain, who is coming her way. She turns the goat into a man and the goat that used to be Brevis into a girl. Yvain falls for the trap and the witch queen is preparing to carve out her heart after a nice warm bubbly bath when Tristian and Primus, who have also been attracted to the inn, arrive. The witch queen decides to delay killing Yvain until she has dealt with the two unwanted guests. She attempts to poison Tristian while he is tending to the horses, but the unicorn, who is also lodged in the stable, warns him just in time. He rushes back to the inn. There is a bloody battle. Primus is killed, throat slit by the witch, and the unicorn kills the man who used to be a goat, horned straight to the head, and then the unicorn stabs the witch, but she buries her knife in its eye. And then Tristan, well, he's able to rescue Yvain by forming a makeshift candle from the remnants of the magical candle that he's obtained earlier, burning his left hand in the process. They escape, but they don't make it very far. Shortly afterwards, Septimus arrives at the inn and finds Primus's body. He sets off in search of the Witch Queen to fulfill the obligation to avenge his slain brother. Apparently, you don't have to avenge your brother's death if you're the one who killed them, but if somebody else kills them, then oh my god, you're honor bound to stop whatever you're doing to go murder that person. Whatever. Then he's going to go finish finding the Topaz so he can claim his birthright as the last surviving stun of Stormhold. Tristan and Yvain, meanwhile, find themselves in an almost equally perilous situation they walk past many scenes in the light of the candles but eventually end up stranded on a cloud miles above ferry they are rescued by the crew of a passing airborne ship or sky ship the captain of the ship agrees to help them on their way back to wall hinting that he is part of a mysterious fellowship that wants to help tristan for some unspecified reason tristan represents sorry tristan expresses regret for chaining yvain up Finally, the star reveals that while Tristan no longer intends to force her to accompany him to Wall, the custom of her people dictate that because he has saved her life, she is obligated to follow him. After parting company with the ship and the crew, Tristan and Yvain set off for Wall, and after several adventures which were not really told about, they encounter Madame Simile. Because of the Witch Queen's curse, Madame Smail is unable to see Yvain, but she agrees to transport Tristan the rest of the way to the wall as she's on her way to the market herself. Tristan obtains a promise from Madame Semail that he will not be harmed, will receive food and lodging, and will arrive in the wall at the same manner and condition as which he is in right now. That promise, however, does not prevent the witch from transforming him into a dormouse for the duration of the journey. The star also rides on Madame's Samil's wagon, unbeknownst to the old woman, and while riding, Yvain makes a sort of friend with the colorful bird that the witch keeps as a pet, which is Yuna, of course. Septimus seeks revenge on the witch queen for killing Primus, but he is himself killed by his intended victim without ever reclaiming the topaz. Tristan now returned to his human form. Yvain, Madame Samil, and the witch queen all arrive at the wall. Tristan leaves Yvain and crosses back into the town of Wall to tell Victoria that he has returned with the star. Meanwhile, Yvain realizes that she's fallen in love with Tristan, and if he fulfills his promise to bring her to Victoria, she will not only lose him to another woman, but upon leaving Fairy, will be transformed into a piece of rock. Upon meeting Tristan, a dismayed Victoria, who is a month or two pregnant and doesn't even know it yet, reveals that she's already engaged to the guy who runs the town store, Mr. Monday. Tristan's old employer. She never really believed that Tristan would fulfill his promise, and uh, she regretfully tells Tristan that she will, of course, keep her promise and marry him anyway. Tristan, not wishing to force Victoria to marry him against her will, reminds her that the promise wasn't to marry him, it was to give him anything he desires, and his desire is that she marry her own true love, Mr. Monday. Tristan returns to Yvain at the fair. She is delighted to learn that Victoria is to be married to someone else, and Tristan reveals that he returns her love for him. Una informs Madame Smeal that she will soon be free as her enslavement ends when the moon loses her only child. Check. See, the moon is technically the mother of the stars and Yvain is choosing to stay down here and not be a star anymore. And if it happens in a week where two Mondays come together, double check the marriage of Victoria and Mr. Monday. The silver chain that binds Una finally fades away. She demands payment for her services, which the witch must give her on pain of losing her powers. Una seeks out Tristan and Yvain and reveals her true identity. She's a Lady Una, the only daughter of the 81st Lord of Stormhold and Tristan's mother. And thus, Tristan is rightfully the last male heir of Stormhold. She instructs Tristan to ask Yvain for the topaz that Yvain has been carrying around with her this whole time. And through its magic, the power of Stormhold passes to Tristan, but he declines to immediately return to Stormhold, leaving Lady Una to reign in his stead while he and Yvain travel around Fairy and have a bunch of adventures. But before Yvain and Tristan can set off on their journey, an impossibly aged hag turns up wishing to speak to Yvain. She reveals herself to be the Witch Queen. Yvain, no longer fearful, tells her the good news. She's given her heart to Tristan, and it would not help her at all anymore. Anyways, the Witch Queen claims she'd have done better to give it to the witches since Tristan is a stupid man and he's sure to break it as all men do, and then she humps off forever fearful of the cruelty her sisters will probably inflict upon her for failing in her quest. Many years later, Tristan and Yvain finally return to Stormhold, and Tristan assumes his duties as the Lord of Stormhold, and he eventually grows old and dies. Yvain continues to reign as the immortal ruler of the kingdom. The end. And then they made it into a movie stardust is a 2007 romantic fantasy adventure film directed by matthew vaughn and co-written by vaughn and jane goodman it features a huge cast with claire dames charlie cox sienna miller ricky gervais jason fleming rupert everett peter o'toole michelle pfeiffer robert de niro ian mckellen and a few other people too so here we go with our movie recap the English village of Wall lies near a stone wall that borders the magical kingdom of Stormhold. A guard prevents anyone from crossing. However, clever Dunstan Thorn tricks the guard and crosses over the wall to a marketplace. He meets a princess Una, who is enslaved by the witch Ditchwater Sal. Una offers him a glass snowdrop in exchange for a kiss. They spend the night together. Nine months later, the wall guard delivers the baby to Dunstan. The baby is in a basket with a magic Babylon candle. And I don't say the baby's name is Tristan. 18 years later, the dying king of Stormhold throws a ruby into the sky, declaring that only his successor will be the first of his sons to recover it. The gem hits a star. They both fall out of the sky, landing in Stormhold. The three sons that are still alive and the rest are all ghosts because the ghosts are watching. They're hanging out, making snarky comments. And did I say that there are three sons still alive? Well, no, because now one of them has been pushed out the window and there are only two brothers, Primus and Septimus, off they go searching for the ruby. In the town of Wall. Tristan, Dunstan's son, is trying to woo Victoria. See, he is far more than just a shop boy who gets bullied all the time by the town fancy boy Humphrey. He's trying to convince Victoria that he's better than that. And well, Victoria seems rather shallow. And also she's going to marry Humphrey because he's going all the way to Ipswich to get her a ring. As Tristan continues to try to woo her, they see the falling star. He vows to retrieve it in return for her hand in marriage, and she agrees. Tristan tries to get past the wall, but the guard stops him with some cool guard kung fu. Then Tristan talks to his dad, who shows him the basket and the note and the candle. Tristan now knows that his mother is alive and is from beyond the wall, and the candle can get get him to her if he thinks about her when he lights it. So he lights it. And instantly body checks a beautiful woman named Evade, who it turns out is the fallen star because I guess he couldn't stop his mind from wandering. Hmm. Anyway, he uses the magical chain to claim her and to announce that he is going to take her to Victoria. She is understandably pissed off about this and uh, also is injured. Three ancient witch sisters resolve to eat the fallen star's heart to recover their youth and replenish their powers. Their leader eats the remnants of an earlier star's heart and sets off to find debate She transforms a dude named Bernard into a goat, has her run in with Ditchwater Sal, casts the same curse as in the book, can't see or know about the star, etc., and then turns her goats into a husband and a daughter and sets the same trap as in the book at the inn, etc. Walking, the injured Yvain becomes tired, so Tristan chains her to a tree and promises to bring her food. In his absence, a unicorn releases her and wittingly takes her to the inn that is a trap. Tristan discovers that Yvain is gone. He looks ready to give up and takes a nap, but then the stars whisper that she's in danger. They tell him to get up and go and run and get on a passing coach, which happens to be Primus. Primus and Tristan stop at the inn, interrupting the witch queen's attempt to kill Yvain. There's a fight, far less bloody than in the book, and the witch queen kills Primus. She kind of, you know, slits his neck while he's in the bathtub, which is far less bloody than in the book. The witch queen kills Primus, but Tristan and Yvain use the Babylon candle to escape into the clouds where they are captured by pirates in a flying ship. The leader, Captain Shakespeare, throws them into the brig, then pretends that he is all rough and rapey and violent to keep up appearances with his crew, you see. But it turns out that he is a delightful old gay man who loves England. He manages to convince the crew that he killed Tristan and then picked up his nephew, aka Tristan, after a makeover. He then teaches Tristan how to fence and Yvain how to dance. And yeah, he totally knows that she's the star that's being hunted across the land septimus discovers his brother's body so now he knows he's the last surviving son and only needs to find the stone to claim the throne he learns it is in the possession of a fallen star and realizes that the heart of the star will grant him immortality after leaving captain shakespeare tristan and yvain bump into ditchwater sal who can't see or hear yvain and they do the same door mouse trick on tr- and she does the same Dormouse trick on tristan while he's a mouse yvain spills her secrets telling him that she loves him Una is trapped as a bird through all this and is of no help. Eventually, Ditchwater Sal gets to the fair outside of Wall and returns Tristan to his human form. Tristan confesses that he also loves Yvain as well, and they spend the night together in an inn. The next morning, Tristan leaves Yvain sleeping and goes with a lock of her hair to tell Victoria that he's fallen in love with Yvain. Also, he encounters Humphrey and is like, oh, you? Well, you can have Victoria now because she's kind of horrid and I'm also now super dapper and good with the sword. La la la. Oh, look. The lock of Yvain's hair has turned to stardust. Tristan realizes Yvain will die if she crosses the wall. He rushes back to save her. Yvain finds Tristan gone, and for some reason thinks he's abandoned her for Victoria. So she despondently walks towards the wall to commit suicide. Una notices Yvain walking to her doom and takes the reins of Ditchwater Sal's caravan to stop her. They're intercepted by the Witch Queen, who kills Sal and then captures Una and Yvain, taking them to the Witch's Manor. Septimus and Tristan both pursue them. They bump into one another outside the banner and agree to work together for the time being. Barging into the castle, Septimus recognizes Una as his long lost sister, and Una tells Tristan that she is, in fact, his mother. Septimus and Tristan kill two of the witches, but the witch queen uses a voodoo doll to kill Septimus. Then she's about to finish Tristan off when she appears to break down over the loss of her sisters. She frees Yvain, but her feigned defeat was a ruse made because at that interlude Yvain had a broken heart and for the desired effect to take hold, an unbroken one is required. So then after Yvain's heart is mended, the witch queen attempts to kill them both. As Tristan and Yvain embrace, their love allows her to shine once more and she kills the witch queen with her shiny love light. Tristan reveals Tristan retrieves the stone from Yvain, and Una explains that as her son, Tristan is the last male heir of Stormhold. He becomes king with Yvain as his queen. After 80 years of benevolent rule, Tristan and Yvain use the Babylon candle to ascend into the sky, where they live together forever as stars. Also, Wikipedia says that Dunstan and Una are reunited at this wedding of, you know, sorry, at the crowning of Tristan. I did not catch that. The entry was also full of other holes and leavings of things out, so I don't trust it. Did you catch that Dunstan was there at the end with Una? No. Yeah, me neither. Okay. The end! (laughs) Maybe he was in the crowd. There was a big crowd scene, but I definitely didn't see a whole reconnecting of Una and Dunstan at all.
0: So what I kept thinking as I was watching this film, because I knew we were going to do this, was Kaylia going, fuck you, magical thing!
1: hey that is a shout out to our last unicorn episode how many episodes can we mention in this episode that's apparently that's going to be the game take a shot every time we no no don't do that you'll you'll die
0: okay so shortly after Niro winks you know gay pirate captain shakespeare winks um his father is kind of in the background as his mother presents my gift to you. So it doesn't show them like reunited as he's just kind of standing there and it's highly
1: implied. Like, you know, there they are holding hands. Oh, okay. So they does show them holding hands, the Una and. Yeah. Okay. Oh, winking. I missed it. Fuzzed out. Yeah. It's like, it's easy to. Plus, we were him all for- looking at Robin De Niro winking at pretty boy Humphrey. <laughs> that was a nice scene. <laughs> and Sour Puss face Victoria, which is pretty awesome. Okay. So I saw this movie and had never read the book until you convinced me to do it for the podcast. I liked the movie. I would say when I saw it in the theater, I liked it. And I will tell you, it was one of the few times that seeing a movie in the theater made a huge difference because it was like a, it was a later showing, but the crowd was like Really into it. Like people that were wow. Yeah. And cheering. And I mean, it was clapping. I mean, it was just, it was the energy of the crowd. It's something, and I kind of remember the energy of the crowd more than the movie in a lot of ways, just because it was such a unique experience to be with that, you know. Um, and I remember thinking, oh yeah, the movie was fun, blah 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 blah. And then I knew that it was like I'd, I kept hearing that it was a graphic novel, and most graphic novels are mostly pictures with some words, and I don't like pictures. <laughs> sounds bad. I don't do comics and comic books and that kind of stuff. It's hard on my eyes. So I was like, I'm not going to read it, not going to read it. And you finally convinced me that it was like in novelization form. It was actually difficult to get in novelization form though. I eventually did get a copy from the library that was just the novel. And so then I tried to order it off of Amazon and Amazon sent me what looks like a comic book. It has a lot of pictures, but thankfully has a lot of text as well. So But there's a lot of pictures, which I, you know, they're there and I looked at them because they're there, but they, I could have done just as fine without them. And then I watched the movie for the podcast. So that is how I came. That is my Stardust story. What is your Stardust origin story, Jennifer? I saw it in the theater and
0: I will say seeing it in the theater, it does make a difference because you have these beautiful landscapes and it's a very rich looking film that looks great on a big screen. And because of that, I had fond memories of it. I was like, "Let's let's do this one. Come on, Kaylia, let's do this one. Kaylia, there's a novelization. Let's do it. Come on, I like Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman's fun. Let's do this podcast. Poke, 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 poke." So I hadn't read it before we did. We decided to do it for this podcast.
1: Oh, okay, cool. So we both came to the book, new, Really
0: fresh. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's fun. Okay, just got to get it out of the way, real fast. Both the book and the movie rely on this very tired, needs-to-be-retired trope of captive-turned-love-interest. And I hate that. Yeah, I'm getting
0: ready of getting rid of the damsel.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's more than just a damsel in distress. It is literally, well, I am going to make you do something that you don't want to do. I'm going to drag you walking with a broken leg. Um, because my needs to plant yours and I don't really give a fucking flying care about you in both. I feel like they were the makers of like Neil Gaiman in the book and the makers of the movie were aware that that isn't going to age well. And it, it, I mean, it was 1999. It wasn't like it was, (laughs) This was not written in the 50s okay like there kind of is no excuse but you can almost say well you know fairy tale it was that genre but i think when they made the movie they were like this really has to. we have to fix this and so tristan this is one of the changes
0: i did not like is okay you know the whole point in the book the reason why he gets help from sort of pan and the force is because he lets her go and he's like well okay this isn't right and that's like yeah, a move of him from being a child to an adult and realizing the world isn't all about me and what I need and what I want. Wait, he lets her go. He doesn't let her go. She runs away. Well, she runs away, but he lets go of the chain and says promise that you're going to be here, but he does like decide to unchain her. Whereas, you know, it's the unicorn in the movie. And that takes away a moment of growth from him because the whole thing is like, it's a process of him, growing up as well
1: well i will definitely say in yeah they kind of sped it up a little bit in the movie that he became a nicer guy and like wasn't this cretin to her and like whatever in the book it takes a little bit longer but they they have longer he does more adventuring before her after her blah 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 um and he's already learning other things and having he's definitely coming of age Before he even gets to her like he's lost in the forest and he's got that little guy and he doesn't abandon that guy and then he uses his fairy magic to get them out and the guy, you know, so it definitely has more of that fairy tale feel of you help people and then you get something that helps you down the road, etc. The movie felt a little bit more rushed in terms of that I missed the lion and the unicorn fighting too like that was a really cool scene in the book it's a cool
0: scene but it would have been so violent for a movie oh
1: i know i know i get why it's not there but in the book not only is it an interesting scene but like tristan puts it together he figures out the whole lion and the unicorn thing and and then he solves the problem so it's not just him reacting to things tristan is much more of an active participant in his own adventure In the book, he helps this man. He escapes from the vampire trees. He does the thing with the unicorn. You know, he decides to stop having her be chained up. You know, he he says you should ride on the unicorn, you know, like all of like it's it's different. He's definitely a better character in the book, much more likable character in the book than in the movie. I did not like Tristan in the movie at all, really. Like I kind of got over him pretty fast. I like a lot of the other parts of the movie, but the Tristan I was just kind of like why is she in love with this guy also the book takes a lot longer like they're just there he's on this epic quest for a very long time and in the movie it's all in within the span of a week and I don't know like that's a trope too falling in love with somebody in, in four days when yeah well there is uh,
0: like the first 10% of the book is focused just on the father mm-hmm. and so like that whole we're putting 10% of the novel just on this backstory, which I thought was a little bit of an odd choice. Um, and then they also montage both of their adventures. So the montage on the pirate ship of them starting to kind of like each other a little bit more. And there isn't as much of them as there is Yvain and the pirate king. You know, it's it's more of a love story between those two at that point where we're going to have the pirate and him interact. So there's a fast forwarding that makes the love interest feel kind of fake Mm -hmm. and that's the problem because it we're not watching them fall in love we're watching the montage and it doesn't give the same weight
1: yeah exactly and i mean there's nothing inherently wrong with the montage because you know we all have lives but in the book the montage is they had several adventures. He rescued her. She rescued him. They bonded and talked and became good friends. Like we're told that it's kind of disappointing. We're not shown that, but we're told that in the movie, the montage is over the span of an evening, they fall in love and we're going to have cuts, you know, of them dancing and candlelight. It's and the closest very... they come to is like, oh, we're hiding together in the woods and I'm going to pounce on you. Yeah. I'm going to lay on top of you and have a conversation um, that looked highly uncomfortable but okay <laughs> but she's sparkly yeah yeah and I mean so visually there was a lot of cool stuff in the movie but it did feel like a lot of manufactured drama the the manufactured tension of the end of him being like I'm gonna leave her a quote unquote note to tell her that I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna be back for her and then the guy gives her like the, the wrong message and now she thinks oh he says he loves me we had sex we had a wonderful night together and then I wake up and he's gone and he must be go he must have like, had regrets like morning after regrets and he's gonna go back to Victoria. So I'm gonna go kill myself. I was like, what the hell just happened? No, like Yvane was not that kind of character. And also it it seemed just highly unlikely that she would just be like, oh I guess he changed his mind and doesn't love me anymore. And and now I'm gonna go kill myself. And like there we don't need that drama at all. It was so unnecessary.
0: So a little bit about the costumes. One um uh... Okay. when <laughs> tristan woke up he was supposed to he was originally like bare chested but they digitally put on his shirt because they thought it was a little too sedacious ah! so that shirt it actually is really really good digitalization because it looked real i was like really serious that was digital wow wow i had no idea i'll have to go look uh, and then the other part is Yvain's dress has the back ties that aren't laced up mm-hmm. and they remain unlaced the entire rest of the time i'm thinking you know she was in the carriage with his mom wouldn't she just you know have some help lacing that dress up a little bit You but would nope the back is just unlaced the rest of the time and that's really loose that could have been a wardrobe malfunction at any minute
1: <laughs> so maybe odd, claire Dain- observations maybe claire danes was like you know what this dress is too tight <laughs>
0: <laughs> she probably not
1: fabulous in this film I, she does claire danes looks but fabulous Um, and it is an all-star cast like we have you know high level actors in tiny roles yes it's pretty amazing and I want to talk about the casting because I have some fun trivia about that too but before we move too far off the the book we had a character in the book that isn't in the movie which is that little hairy man who's maybe a dwarf or a goblin we're not exactly sure and it's okay and i get it like i get that that's a hard thing to put into the movie and they had a lot of other characters and and you have to get up but i missed it i missed the the what that character brought to the movie was this kind of you do something nice for me and i'll do something nice for you down the road and also like it added to the whole fairy tale feel yeah he's like a little traveling salesman he's a little hairy guy yeah and that's
0: how they you know that's how it's described he's this little hairy guy
1: little hairy There is a
0: scene that got to me when they're stuck in this these woods that are violent and attacking them it's an enchanted forest and Tristan Tristran in the novel knows the way out and tries to guide him out there's a scene where he the little hairy dwarf salesman traveler just sits down and howls because he's so despondent being stuck in this forest and Tristan is like no we can do it and that just it it touched my heart I mean this poor little guy is stuck there i'm feeling so down like he's not even going to try to escape he just sits down and howls yeah
1: and Trist and tristran
0: helps and him. that's and- what makes tristran a likable character because he's like no we'll make it let's go
1: right and he doesn't leave the guy behind because at one yeah. point they get a little bit separated and he kind of goes back for him and stuff and i those those creepy ass trees were creepy i like yeah it. And i like cutting them. like the leaves would cut them and they're crowding around and doing all these like you and know- if you i don't know if you've ever been lost in the woods I've been lost in the woods. And it literally feels like those trees are malevolent. They're like, and they're coming at you because you cannot find where you're supposed to be. You know, there's a Creek somewhere. The sun is going down. Where the hell am I supposed to go? Does the sun set in the West? I think so. Is the Creek to the East? I don't know. And then you're just lost and it's scary. And yes, I loved that scene because it was so scary. And I really like the fact that like, it's it's clear Tristan has a magical fairy ability. He knows where things are. He's like, "Oh, the star is over there. I don't know how I know, but I know it's there. Oh, the way out is over here. Oh, the thing is that I need is over there." And he just knows the way. In the in the movie that they don't really have that at all until the end where he's trying to find revenge, she's been kidnapped, whatever, he's running to the wall and then he just knows where to go. Like he go find the witch's secret house somewhere and I'm like, "I how does he know that?"
0: Well, one thing that they preface and make note of is maps are completely useless. This is a land of fairy, and as you explore more of the world, the real world, the hidden places like Shangri La, like you know whatever mythical lands that we have, retreat into fairyland. So you know it's always changing. Mm -hmm. You can't have a map, but here we have a guy who is basically a map.
1: Yeah, in the book, he's he's yeah that makes him like it makes him a really interesting character in that way well and i like that he did have a fairy i mean he's half like you know his mom is a princess and from fairy town so it fairyland it made sense that he would have something special about him tristan in the movie didn't really seem to have anything special about him at all like he you know what i mean he's just kind of there he got a nice haircut at one point um which Brings me to some of the sight gags. Okay. Because that was a really funny scene when Robert De Niro, you know, Captain Shakespeare is giving him a makeover and he's cutting his hair and Tristan's hair is getting longer and shorter and then longer again, because it's just a fun little sight gag. And I, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I liked some of the sight gags that happened. The I liked blue blood, the noble blue blood. blood. I was going to point that one yeah. out and it, okay. So what happens is Primus gets not Primus. Yeah. Yeah. No, Primus. Not Primus. Yeah. Primus. Okay. He is, his throat gets split. And he's bleeding out in a bathtub, and so he's like covered in blood, but it's blue. Which yes, is funny because it's a blue blood. So he's like highborn, blah blah blah. But also, it makes it so less graphic than it would have mm-hmm. been if it had just been covered in red blood. And so that keeps the movie. There is violence, and there it's is more comedic. It is definitely more comedic, and 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 more obviously not us. It's obviously not our world. Because this guy is bleeding blue, you know, and it just keeps uh, that level of detachment so that it's not as scary. And I thought that that was just really well done because the book was really gory in that scene. Like, not only is his throat got slit and then there's blood everywhere, and the unicorn stabbing, and then she's stabbing the unicorn in the eye. And then I didn't put it in my recap, but then like, Later on, she like takes the head of the unicorn and there's a whole other graphic, disgusting scene. And like hanging on to it for the rest of the book. Like she's just got this unicorn head in a bag. Yeah, and she uses it. And oh my god. And then um
0: yeah, when the unicorn got stabbed in the eye, I I was just like, Oh no,
1: I don't like this. Because I'm reading this version that has pictures, there's pictures. I mean, there are are some really, really disgusting bloody pictures going on in this book and it is it is kind of horrific so yeah
0: so killia showed me a picture of like blood everywhere
1: blood so like the witch much has his her knife out and the blood is and then here's out the, the dead arc. unicorn
0: yeah
1: yeah it was it was a lot and i was like okay so like i said i didn't need the pictures because it was graphic enough but whoo i'm so there are some things that I didn't like that they changed for the movie, obviously, but I thought that toning down the graphicness so that this could be a little bit more quote unquote, family friendly, keep that PG rating. Was it PG or PG 13? It was, was better. It was a good call. A good call. I would say. So PG 13. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I did like the way the movie showed the ghosts, the brother ghosts. I was glad to see them there. That was pretty cool. They were funny snarky
0: so bringing that up uh you have the naked brother who died in the tub and so he's just holding his mm-hmm. hands in front of his crotch naked for however yep. long he's going to be stuck there and then one well, the one that fell is all smushed his face is <laughs> you all have smushed. the axe in the head of one of them uh-huh yeah he's just walking around with the axe head uh and then when septimus dies and he's there and he's all wet and then they see his body get up because uh michelle Piperlamia lamia oh. is manipulating him he's like oh
1: yeah that, that cute little that was pretty funny it was there's good a lot of cute little comedy in this i liked it when the witch queen tried to magic her boobs to being more perky and they just immediately fell back down because her magic was wearing thin Thought that was pretty hilarious yeah, there's a lot of boob jokes yeah like when the guys turned into a chick he's like oh look they're bouncy and he's looking at his own, her own his own breasts yeah i thought okay um Poor Bernard, have to say, like this dude is just like taking the goat somewhere to like go sell the goat because he and his mom need the money. And then the goat is stolen. He's turned into a goat. Then he's turned into a girl. And then, like, the goat the Septimus basically kidnaps him. Right. But, and, and then that's it. Like, we don't really know what happens to him. Poor guy. He's just out there somewhere after being totally traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> i felt bad for bernard burvis or brevis i think in the book and bernard they so they a lot of name changes to make it simpler but i like the fairy tale names so what did you think about the gay pirate so this got an award from glad i know because at the time you know having
0: public acceptance of you know a gay character was so novel um, so
1: Can I just say, say, say a little, the bar yeah. was really low.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is it doesn't age entirely well. You know, we've kind of gotten beyond that for the time. It was progressive,
1: okay. uh, but it's still cute. I'll say two things. One, I liked that his crew was like we always knew, like it was fine. His crew was not bothered. He was scared that his crew would find out and then not like him anymore and not respect him. And that was not the case. So that's a good coming out story. Like you're really scared that people will reject you, but then they don't reject you. Even if they still have to learn the the jargon, even if they accidentally let slip words or phrases that you might not be ideal. Like one of the crews, like we always knew you were a, and then he says a a word. Um, And all of them like push him to him to the back. They're like, no, 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 don't say that. That was good. The fact that a gay man was also like, a cross dresser maybe, or it was, it's kind of ambiguous. We don't know like what, what that was all about with the, but definitely into fashion. Okay. But then like actually dressing up and prancing about is, is definitely a less than ideal stereotype that is not valid. So honey, let me do this for you. Right. A little bit of that affectation going on. Right. Right. And then he's, you know, has to do the makeover and he has all the clothes and he has, and then I was like, I'm sorry. Also, he has dresses that he's like, pick out any dress you want. And Nuvane goes and finds a dress. And Robert De Niro, Claire there, Dane. Nope, they have the same side. No, not at all. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> a little magical there, you know. Fine, fine, fine.
0: Well, just this, like the space they have on that ship.
1: Yeah. Like that hold and it was a secret wardrobe on a ship. It was like a Narnia closet. I like, yeah, it kind of, yeah, it, was it was definitely magical. there. massive I, interiors. What I would have loved to see is if when, captain shakespeare was accosted by septimus and septimus has like yeah i wanted him to fight back yes and because we don't even get to see the fight he gets you know found in his outfit and then he's being laid across the desk he is the damsel at that
0: point i'm like no it would have been so much better if he had kicked septimus's ass and And then the crew
1: could come in and still be the reveal but yeah you and i we wanted the exact same thing even if he hadn't won the fight with septimus if he had put up a fight with Septimus because it really didn't look like there was much of a fight. And then he's just laid across the desk and he's, you know, whatever. And I, I just, I really resented that how much in would you my head. Robert De Niro kicking ass. Yeah. In it, okay. And here's the thing. When that scene started, Matthew and I are watching it with Ella and Matthew's like, well, this is doesn't age well. And I was like, no, 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 wait, just wait. It, it's okay. Because of how it ends. In my head, I had Robert De Niro kicking that guy's ass and then the crew coming in and then being like, yeah, we always knew blah, blah, blah. I had totally retconned it away that he didn't fight back and was like just the victim there. And so then when that happened, I was like, oh, oh, well, okay. It's nice that his crew still liked him. And then of course, <laughs> the very last time we see Captain Shakespeare is at the crowning of Tristan and he's like making wiki faces over at Humphrey. Which is funny, but also is the little like, oh wait, so now Humphrey, the the town fancy boy, also has to you know is also gay, but also closet. I mm, mm, I don't know. And then Victoria totally. I kind of like Humphrey's
0: barely there wink. He's just like a little there. Oh, he's into it. He's no, but I like that. You know, the wink was there. It's just like hey, you hey. or have some
1: fun yeah well, i which okay i'm sorry but he's obviously married to victoria so that's not cool i whatever it's it is so that was one of the things is
0: victoria was much more likable in the book and
1: yeah a lot of
0: ways you know and, and humphrey he was going to be mr monday he was an older man he wasn't that great he had sweaty hands
1: but he truly loved her and and that was a growing point points, and they laid that in in the book because since we got you know much more of a background and beginning part before anything adventury started to happen we had all the girls in town sitting in a tree and like talking about the boys and the men in town and victoria's talking about mr monday and giggling and you totally she's like that who protests too much she's totally into mr monday even young right like that's it's established And then she ends up with him, you know, at the end, she wanted to be with him and they were obviously together, um, secretly, you know, the book goes to great pains to tell us that she's already pregnant with Mr. Monday's kid, just like kind of a little slut shamey and unfortunate, but fine. I I like the fact that Tristan was like, you know what, what I want for you is to get married to the band that you love and to be happy. And in the movie he like goes, he acts like he's going to kiss her. And then he drops her in the dirt and you're like, okay, she's shallow. She's annoying, but you're being in a putz for no reason. Like, what the hell, man? You just came back to town to like drop her in the dirt and, you know, I didn't appreciate that. But
0: that's one of the themes that you'll find in the novel where the Lamia, the Lamia, you know, Lamia, the witch. The witch queen, I call her
1: Lemon. Yeah. Lemon. (laughs)
0: Lilum is what they're
1: called in the book. But yeah, she's the witch queen. Anyways. Go ahead. Uh, so she like her
0: complaints is that her sisters are going to get back to her, but Yvaine just gives her a kiss on the cheek because she knows you have no power. You're just old and decrepit and sorry and sad, and you don't have to put people down who are already at their lowest. Mm-hmm. And so it's a moment of forgiveness. Yeah. Even though, at when I was reading the book, I was like, she killed a unicorn. fucker <laughs> you know, Yeah. Fuck you, your unicorn killing witch. But it is a moment of forgiveness because. You don't have to push people down who are already down. Yeah. And that's how it felt with, okay, we're going to make this this guy a putz when we really don't need to because bullies.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I was bullied and now I'm going to become the bully is is not a good look for your hero. So let's not do that. Yeah. Okay. So this is my retcon fan fiction
0: headcanon <laughs> is that he leaves Victoria. Humphrey lives Victoria and becomes a pirate and they have swashbuckling ways and- you know kinky hot sex there you go
1: <laughs> sounds good yes and victoria has to run the shop
0: <laughs> so do you want to talk about the ending because man were they different they were so different there's a lot of changes that were made and this does highlight the difference between what you need for a movie and what you can read in a book but mm-hmm. geez those endings were
1: yeah i like the book ending better it's very much less hia, happy ever after yeah well, okay, there's two things about the ending of the book that I liked. One was that Tristan Tristran, was like, I don't want to be king. I want to have adventures with Yvain. So mom, you rule the kingdom. And they go off on these adventures. And then eventually, they come, to the, they come back. And he's like, I don't know, man. She looks like she's doing a good job. Let's go have yeah. more adventures. The mom is kicking ass. And they, they're happy to be like these little vagabonds yes. traveling the world having fun. Dirty unkempt they're like super happy because they're together and they're having adventures and I love the fact that that like is all about smashing the patriarchy because the whole thing was like no a woman can't rule this kingdom how crazy we it's have the to, last male ruler. To be man but then freaking Una is kicking ass like you said she is doing great everybody loves her like and Tristan's like she's great everybody loves her I don't need to be here just because I can doesn't mean I should and like I'm going to go actually make myself to do. Well, yeah. And he wants to be happy. And like happiness is sometimes about finding what makes you happy. It's not doing what your societal expectations, you know what I mean? And so I just, I love that. It was very mature of him, but I just, I just loved it so much. And then at the end, he does finally go, they rule, you know, whatever. And then eventually Tristan dies because he's human, fairy, whatever he should die. He dies. Good. And Yvain rules. Because she's his, you know, and then so again, we have a woman ruling, right? They don't have kids in the book. Nope.
0: Because it said that she can't have children. Right. And so
1: she had said that to him, like she would never be that kind of person for him. And he didn't care. He loved her. So and then she is able to rule forever, basically, as as a wonderful ruler of this land. And I just I love it so much. It's slightly,
0: it's a little melancholy because she's looking up at the sky and that's her home, Mm -hmm. but it's still very, but I also got
1: the vibe that at some point, if she, if she decided, like, maybe she could eventually find her way home or back to the moon or something, you know, like it's magical things happen. Right. But in the book, that was how it ended. And that was great. I, I really liked it. It was, it was kind of melancholy, like you said, but it was still hopeful. We got to smash a little bit of that patriarchy. We got to happen. And we've got a whole, like, you don't have to have babies to be happy. You don't have to, you know, do what you're supposed to do to be happy. You can make your own ha- make your own happiness. Urgh.
0: But this is the irony of the fairy tale ending is, you know, we think of the fairy tale ending as being the happy ever after. And that's, if you look at like fairy tales, before grim or even grim tales, because they are pretty dark. They aren't about mm-hmm. the happy every after they are dark. They do have sad endings and it's okay to yeah. have those. Cause that's
1: life. You know, we never just, I mean, until we die, <laughs> but then other people keep living. So like, there's never a point in your day-to-day life or even in your like, whatever dramatic things where you're going to have like roll credits and then there's no more, right? There's always more. So the story continues for somebody, whether it's you or not. And, and that's, that's just part of life. And I like that, that I like that idea. So I like the type of television shows that end in a way that, you know, they're continuing. You're just not there watching them anymore, as opposed to the ones who are like everything gets wrapped up and you can't imagine what would happen next because the story's done. I don't like stories that end like that. I, I like it better when you're like, you know, it's just out there but you were only given a little bit of it.
0: It's a good, satisfying ending without having
1: it blocked off to further development. Yeah. At
0: least in your head.
1: And then there's the movie ending. Which is
0: fine for a movie because that's the expectation for movies. Yep. If you had the book ending, it would would be a huge letdown. People would be leaving the theaters going, Oh. Well, the
1: tone of the whole book was so different so that it, the, the ending of the book matched the tone of the book. The ending of the movie matched the tone of the movie. It was very, blah, 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 you know, oh, we know it's going to be a happy ending and we know that this is going to happen. And I mean, what do stars do? They shine. So I can hug you and shine and kill the witch with my shininess. Okay. I mean, it has to make sense because nothing makes sense because it's magic, right? And there are no rules apparently in this magical world. Ooh, magical thing. Yeah. That needs to be our, our Fuck m- you, magical thing. <laughs> because seriously, um and not not that well, I it need is a them bit to of, like, like s-
0: the damsel in distress rescuing the I, prince.
1: Sure. I also like the fact that <laughs> Tristan doesn't actually kill anybody. Did you catch that? Cause like, yeah. Yep. Um, it's the other witches, and it's definitely Septimus. Which, okay, if Septimus hadn't been there, Tristan would have had to kill those witches. So it's so nice that our hero doesn't have to, be, you know, sully his hands, and he doesn't even well, kill the main qu- witch queen. Yvain does it. He
0: he does. Now this is a pretty vicious thing where he opens up all the cages, and the animals get the revenge. That's true. So I mean, he's he, he,
1: responsible. But that is still definitely hands clean, soul blemished by murder, but hands clean. I think that was like maybe Ella's favorite part, actually, because when they kept killing the animals earlier, it was really upsetting to her. And so then when they were fighting, she's like, as intended. Right. And she was like, hey, don't hurt the animals. Don't hurt the animals. And I was like, I think the animals are the ones who are going to do the hurting. And then he lets them out and they attack. And Ella was like, yes, (laughs) of course, then those animals like left right they didn't stick around which is just to add
0: this is a blink and you'll miss it when the brothers all you know they dissipate and they go wherever they turn into little points of light there's one little red one that goes down supposedly septimus going to hell and the rest of the brothers ascend oh really yeah that's a blink if you'll miss it little
1: detail Uh, no i totally missed that for sure yeah because septimus was a bad dude definitely and I gotta say, Mark
0: Strong played a really good Septimus, and he just chews the scenery up when he's in it. He's such a fun character to hate. Yeah,
1: I actually really like the scene where he's, you know, he's got his guy who's throwing the runes, and runes are part of this magical world. You can throw runes and get all kinds of information, and he's like, throw the runes. Have I, you know, ever let anybody talk their way out of being killed? No, throw the runes, you know, and do you work for my brother? Like you know all all this stuff. And as they're falling and stuff, so, like it was intense and it was it was kind of ooh good and fucked up.
0: Yeah. Uh, he and uh,
1: Lammy are both villains who like to play with their food. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And Michelle, oh my gosh, Michelle Pfeiffer, she is so good in this. So good in this, unbelievably good. I I love her so much. She's also in once. Well, she was. It's not on anymore. Once upon a time as Maleficent, and so just being this. This dark witch, awesome, campy over the top is just very good for her. I highly enjoyed it. Do you want to say anything more about the ending? Of It was such a rom-com ending. Oh, does, he doesn't love me. I guess I'll kill myself. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Now our love saves everybody. Dude, uh, the now we live- I could see her being hurt, but
0: I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where you have all these different threads having to culminate together. And so we get a lot of... Yeah okay, this person's racing to this and this person's racing to this and we're all racing to this one point in the wall. So it kind of works in a movie in a way that would never work in a book. Yeah,
1: I mean, I get that. It just, like I said, it was manufactured drama and I I didn't particularly care for it. And then, then we have the whole, you know, he gets crowned King. He's going to be King. Everybody's happy the end and and i'm just like there's nothing watching this movie there's nothing that made me think tristan would be a good king you know what i mean not a damn thing
0: the other thing is if they're both stars they're not together Together. stars are massively far apart but only in a magical world can they be together together. even
1: in the final shot when the stars are up there they're not even like right next to one another there's like some they're not like a binary star where they're actually you know there are binary stars that kind of swirl around each other yeah but no but no, maybe after 80 years, she got tired of him again, was like, you go to that part of the sky. <laughs> I mean, it's nice, we're, we're both in the sky. We can talk to each other whenever we want, but we're gonna have some space, maybe, I don't know. La, la, la.
0: So that brings up like one of the themes that is much more prevalent in the book is the idea of boundaries. And so you have boundaries between death and life, you have, and there's Kaylee going, oh. Things. No, 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 yes, I'm nodding, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry so boundaries between life, life and death and even with the star she's an object and she's a person depending on what side of the wall she's on you've got the wall you've got the you know tris tris Tristran <laughs> is a boy becoming a man and the boundary between childhood and adulthood so that's a really cool theme that's woven throughout the book yes yes and again initial gags i i love i love the guardian being the old man who knows kung fu after his father got him like 20 years ago it's like fuck these little thorn boys and go to learn kung fu and keep them out
1: i liked it then at the end of the movie when they were all on the other side of the wall having their big epic fights and the witch queen kills ditchwater sal and everything and the little old man is like screw guarding this i should have been keeping them out of here like whatever man i'm done off i go <laughs> i need a drink i love that But yeah, I mean, I like your point about boundaries in the book. I definitely feel like the book had a lot more meat to it in terms of of storytelling, which often is the case with novels versus movies. But we do you do have these sorts of dichotomies of boundaries and the like the mere reflection of things. Right. We have the two boys that go across the wall and for very different reasons, but kind of the same reasons, you know, like Dunstan Dunstan went over there to like well okay this is a big change in the book people were allowed to go back and forth for the fair only that one day for sure but like you totally could go over there and and buy things at the ferry market and then come back and so that it was like part of that of the culture of that town was that this was just a thing and I liked that so much better because it made it more believable Otherwise, why else would Dunson be the only person who ever went over there? And you know what I mean? I I just I like the world building that this this thing happens, this fairy fair comes every nine years and they go over and they hang out, and the people in the town know about it. And people come from all over the world to stay in this town and overcrowd the town trying to get over there, you know, to the fair. And I like the that's
0: originally where the little hairy travel guy came in, was Mm -hmm. you know, the father did him a kindness said, so, okay, you can stay in my place and just got a little thing out of it.
1: Yeah. And okay. So this is fun. So as payment for b- having some more to sleep, he, the little hairy guy gave him his quote unquote heart's desire to Dunstan. Okay. And then Dunstan goes over to the wall and he meets Una and he has the whole like thing and he has a whole night with her. And then he comes back and he's, he's given the little snowdrop to his Daisy the girl that he likes right who who likes him back like they're together this is cool but it made me wonder what was Dunson's heart desire was it a child was it an adventure was it a roll in the hay with a fairy girl was it actually Daisy you know because like he brought her the present and then what like what was his heart's desire that he got do, do you have a guess it's never really spelled out no. and the
0: people in the town knew he had been spelled Mm-hmm. it's like oh he's got a little bit of that fairy in him. And i was always kind of curious about daisy because you find out your man was had an affair and technically they weren't married at the time but still that's and she apparently raised him like her own son and we just get tiny little hints of that but man that's some family drama going on
1: right and then freaking tristan has Tristran has a sister named Louisa, who seems pretty freaking awesome. but little tiny bits of her that we get, she's kind of a spitfire too. And she's very cool. And and which made more sense too than like why he just wouldn't go off and become king like he'd want to travel around. He had familial ties on this other side. And Daisy is an interesting character. Like the whole thing in the movie, Dunstan goes off, has his little dalliance, comes back, has a kid, and there's no Daisy, there's no sister, there's no other family. And then Tristan goes it off. Makes
0: for very simple movie
1: telling when you very, already have so much going on. Very simple. So. I get that, but then of course, like like I said, I missed that that Dunstan was there at the very end. And I was like, he just freaking never saw his dad again. What the hell? Like his poor dad. Um, so I'm well, glad that he was there in the background.
0: About if- like the town is like it's told that it's it's magical in its own way, but it's very gray. So it's all squished together. There's no space. It's like the trees are growing out. Of the sides of the buildings because there's no room for anything and yet dunstan is this character who is described as being nut brown he's got nut brown hair nut brown eyes nut brown freckles he's not a romantic he wants to go to the wider world because he doesn't like this little fairy town he's very practical and so even though the town's great it does have a certain magical property to it so that makes dunstan just like that much more out of place it seems in some Mm -hmm. very odd ways
1: Yeah. I like the town in the book. I like both the fairies and the town and the whole conceit of the whole thing was, I Mm -hmm. think, just better done in the book. And I understand why they made the changes for the movie, for sure. You know, it's simple storytelling and it was a light and fluffier story and it had to move along and yada, yada. It's interesting to me that then they expanded on the pirate thing so much more because it was in the book, but it was hardly there. It was barely
0: there. It was like a couple pages. It's already a short book. It was just a few pages of oh, we were rescued by pirates off the cloud, yeah, for funsies. And then the pirates are like the whole second half of the film.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more pirates, and they have to go over here. And then we have Ricky Gervais's character, who's like the fence of the lightning, and they capture lightning. And then like also Ditchwater Sal is there. Like there's all this other stuff going on, and you're like, okay, that's cool. And Ricky Gervais was fine, and you know, he okay,
0: lived most of those lines. Almost oh. all his lines were ad libs, and that- he was. You know, quite funny for being defense.
1: yes for sure I mean it, it's a funny character and it was a funny couple of scenes especially when the witch curses him so that he can't make human sounds and then he's trying to talk to Septimus and he can only make little animal sounds and then he gets stabbed right I mean there's a lot of dying going on but it's it's interesting what they decided to flesh out and pull out and what they decided to skip and I kind of feel like I wish that they had spent more time telling us Tristan's story and not having these these longer pirate scenes and longer giving
0: us a little bit more of the romance so that we can understand
1: why they fell in love. Yeah. So
0: romance and action and that would have gone really well together. But the pirates are fun. They are fun. So Neil Gaiman apparently felt really bad when he was on set because it was like it just cost me, you know, the drink of a tea and some ink to write this scene, and here they have to spend all this money creating this ship. And he was like, "Oh, damn! I, I feel really bad for writing this now because it's so much more expensive to produce." Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the directors told him, "You can't write a scene that won't cost me a million dollars per minute
1: to make." Yeah, he was like, "Okay, fine." And so he just keeps on typing. Right. Well, I mean, production values are going to be what they're going to be. That shouldn't be a consideration
0: so speaking of that this film did not do particularly well it made its money back and then some but it wasn't considered a big hit at the time and it doesn't seem to have gotten a cult following the way the princess bride did
1: even though i think that was their intention they wanted to make a more modern version of you know fairy tale that would be the next generation's princess bride i read that there's a
0: lot of princess bride comparisons too yes
1: yes and i think that it i think that if it had had more of what it had in the book we might have gotten more more of a following you know what i mean but this book the book will stick with you the movie is really fun but it's kind of forgettable because it is watered down and goofy and has the sight gags it feels less mature and less complicated and so it's easy to just be like oh it's a fun popcorn film this is to me, the epitome of a popcorn film. You can watch it, but you're, if you miss a couple scenes, you're not going to miss anything. Does that make sense?
0: Okay. So this was a review from The Voice. Robert D'Angelo shows up halfway through as a closeted cross-dressing captain of a high-flying pirate ship, and he's an utter distraction. A reminder that, hey, this is just a silly movie about silly things starring famous people acting all
1: silly. Yep. Very true. Very, very true.
0: So one of the things that got to me as I was watching this, and this is where if we had built up wall a little bit and how cramped it's supposed to be, those big, expansive landscapes would have been more impressive, but they feel a lot of like empty space. There's a lot of brown, empty space. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a magical land. It looks like, oh, there's that really famous shot of the UK, you know, those Mm -hmm. mountains that I see a lot because they're really famous and kind of brown. It, it doesn't feel like a magical world unless they're doing all these weird effects but like the castle it's this barren rocky place like how, how do you have a trade route going up to this castle castles are supposed to have people it's supposed to be a metropolis it's just this castle in the middle of this barren forsaken land it's kind of like king hazard from the last unicorn where there's nothing about but, in the cartoon where's the
1: magic where, yeah. where
0: are the enchanted forests
1: yeah exactly and i like i said i've missed that enchanted forest i missed the the sense of magic and wonder that the book did so much better actually than the movie yeah
0: so that feels so toned down so watered down i think that's part of what bothers me is it there's lacking the
1: lushness okay i've got some trivia are you ready for my trivia Fun trivia. Fun trivia. Okay. Damon has occasionally made references to writing a sequel or at least another book concerning the village of Wall. I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. Um, Charlie Cox. Okay. Was Tristan in the movie is Matt Murdock from Daredevil, which is fun. <laughs> okay. Here is our Star Trek trivia. Okay. I've got a couple of fun things. <laughs> I have my head in my hands with oh. Star Trek trivia. Oh come on, you love the Star Trek. Everybody loves Star Trek trivia. Okay, here's Star Trek trivia. Point number one: Robert De Niro was never in Star Trek, but <laughs> that's why I was like, wait a second, was he ever in Star Trek? But are, are we stretching this out? No, a listen, <laughs> listen. Tom Paris, who is a character in Voyager, says at one point that one of Earth's greatest twentieth-century actors was Robert De Niro so he is name dropped in Star Trek
0: So that's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon has tighter strings okay
1: you don't like that fine here how about this Ian McKellen who does some narration for this movie um once advised Patrick Stewart to not take on Star Trek because it was just a silly show and he should stick to the stage (laughs) okay funny but okay here's some some real connections here we go okay Adam Buxton who was the the ghost of Prince Quentin's. Okay. He used to do a sketch comedy show called Adam and Joe show. And they had a sketch comedy video that was called the star Trek song, which was very funny. And you can find it on YouTube or in our show notes. And he sings about liking star Trek, the next generation. Okay. Okay. I know you're not impressed. Here we go. Here's another little bit. David Williams is the ghost of Prince Sextus. He is an actor who appeared in two Star Trek episodes. He first appeared as an alien protester in a Star Trek Voyager first season episode called Time and Again. And then he appeared as a Warp 5 complex scientist in the Star Trek Enterprise first season episode Broken Bow. So there you go. That, that's my Star Trek. But here is, here is our pages and popcorn trivia. Okay. Ben Barnes, who is the young Dunstan. Yes. Is the Darkling from Shadow and Bone. <laughs>
0: No, that's good. That's a good one.
1: It's exciting. And Henry Cavill, who is Humphrey, the fancy man Humphrey, was obviously in Enola Holmes as Sherlock Holmes. And we did Enola Holmes on this podcast as well. So the one I was
0: going to mention is that Nathaniel Parker and Ben Barnes, they played the older Dunstan and the younger Dunstan, played father and son in the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right there we go that's the thing chronicles
1: I was of narnia huzzah and
0: originally they were going to have ben barnes play tristan instead of charlie cox
1: yeah that, in fact they look so much alike i know Matthew yeah. was like, was is it the same actor and i was like i don't think so <laughs> but they are very similar especially after his hair gets cut okay jennifer Was this book worth your time? Was this movie worth your time? The book is
0: very short. I like the illustrated version because the images are are really well done. I think it's, it's a cute story. You know, we don't have a lot of fairy tales for adults and this is definitely, you know, something that is for adults with the violence that it has. It's well told by a master storyteller. So yeah, check it out. It's totally worth your time. The movie, it's cute. There's a reason why it hasn't stood the test of time, but it is cute. It's an afternoon diversion for two hours.
1: I will say I pretty much agree with you. The book I think is great. I love it. I love it when the first thing the star says is ow, but the second thing (laughs) the star says is fuck. And then she says ow again. And it is amazing. And I mean, anytime you're going to start off with your quote unquote damsel in distress who starts off by saying, ow, fuck. is is a good book in my book. In my book. (laughs) I could see if Kalia fell as a star to heaven, ow, fuck, ow. To be honest, I probably would say fuck first and then ow, but yes, (laughs) Um, I I really did enjoy this, but I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to enjoy it because the movie is a little bit more superficial and eh, it's, it's fine. It is good for what it is. The book was surprising because it was so much better. I highly just did the little happy dance because there are times I've made Kaylee do
0: stuff and she's highly resentful of it. True. And so I like it when I get a win.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. The dressmaker. Anyways, so this, (laughs) (laughs) but but I really, really, really do love this book and I would recommend it. And like like Jennifer said, it's not that long. It is very easy to read, it is very enjoyable. Neil Gaiman is an amazing writer. Yeah, the uh, prose,
0: his descriptions—they're just—he's a—he's at the top of his game for a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's very witty. I like the fact that we didn't really figure out who Una was until closer to the end. Like it—the it, the breadcrumbs were there, but we're distracted by all this other stuff that we didn't put it together. The movie put that together for us a lot faster. The movie had some cute moments. It had some visual gags that were fun, and like I said before, it's a popcorn film. You can watch it, but it's not going to change your life. It's not going to give you these big lessons about not giving up even when the forest is trying to kill you. It's not going to tell you um, a story about overcoming challenges and becoming a good person. It's not going to fucking break the patriarchy. The movie is fine. The book is vastly better. So there you go. Okay. Well, that was fun. If you saw this movie and enjoyed it or saw this movie and didn't enjoy it, if you've read the book, if you have other Neil Gaiman books or movies that you want to talk to us about, feel free to drop us a line at pagesandpopcornpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about it. Yeah, later on this month we're going to be doing interview with a vampire. We have a crossover episode with the Ghost podcast and then some other fun stuff coming in the next couple months as well. So Thank you so much, Jennifer. Again, thank you for badgering me into reading this book. I okay, appreciate it. It
0: took like six months of, Kayla, we should do this. Kayla, it did. It about did. this? Kayla, okay. Have you thought about it?
1: Yeah, she's never going to let me live this down. I, oh, I just I totally never, will. I know it now. <laughs> the next time she says, we should do some blah, blah, blah. And I say, I don't know. She's going to be like, remember Stardust? And then I'm going to say, remember Dressmaker? <laughs> Okay, I did say that the novel had bad
0: reviews before we started. I don't remember that. I I, got into it because the movie was one of those that just distracted the hell out of me. (laughs) I didn't expect it. Wait, Kayla, did you know
1: that this is a thing? Uh, Well, you kind of had me when it was Kate Winslet, so I love Kate Winslet. And damn, does she look good in that? Oh, boy. The other Kate Winslet, but I just want to see how many I can just drop in here. The other Kate Winslet movie that we did was... Was it the mountain between us? Oh God. Okay. Haley, is this a Christian book? <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> what, what was it? A simple plan.
1: A simple favor was it? A simple the favor.
0: That was one where I read the book. I was like, Oh God damn it! This is the second book, and it's terrible. What What did I get myself into with this podcast? Yeah, but that movie was so good. You know, that movie was fantastic. That is one of the
1: ones I pull out when people are like, the book is always better than the movie. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you about a simple favor. And let me tell you about children of men. Let me tell you about Mary Poppins. Okay. Anyways, this was fun. We got to go, but thank you all for listening. Thank you for telling your friends to listen. Thank you for sharing us and supporting us. Thank you. As always, Kalia,
0: always happy to be part of the podcast. And I will talk to you later. All right. Bye everyone.